You're listening to the Rise Parenting Podcast, a resource for parents before kids, during pregnancy, and through the elementary years. I'm your host, Rachel Rubenstein. So it's been a while since I put out a podcast episode, and that is because I have been struggling a bit with balancing work and motherhood and homemaking and being a friend and all of the things going on in my life and all amongst COVID and everything else going on in the world right now. So my podcast has been kind of set aside and I've shared before that this is something that has come out and through me and I've just been really letting it unfold naturally. And it's actually two years since I started this endeavor and I'm feeling a need to rethink it because just the podcast production itself is so time consuming and that's not something you have a lot of as a new mom. So I'm looking at different formats because there's still something that wants to continue to come forth from me, but I'm not sure that this is exactly the format. So I'm excited for what rise will become in 2021 so stay tuned but for now i have an episode for you with a dear friend of mine i was excited to sit down with gardenia who is just such a wise mom and she's new to the game so i don't know how she did it but she is already rocking motherhood. When we sat down to record this episode, it was before the presidential election, so we do touch on politics a little bit. But um, at that point, her little one was just five weeks old, and you hear in her speaking just how clear she is on this new role and its struggles and its rewards, and man, she blows me out of the water just with how poised she is already in this experience. And it's been an honor to watch her. And I am so excited to share this conversation because it's just a real heartfelt mama to mama conversation where we touch on taking time away from our little ones and how important that is for our own sanity and self care, as well as mama to mama relationships and the connection point there. And Gardenia also shares her birth story, which is really beautiful. So let's just dive right in. My name is Gardenia, um, Gardenia Tongsilp. I am a mother to a now five-week-old little girl named Nari. And I met Rachel through a class that we both took at Dominican, um, the psychology of pregnancy, long before either of us were pregnant. So ironic. Um, yes. And we became friends right away. And then we, then I was, I remember running into her at a bar in um, North Beach. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, what are you doing here? And then she was standing next to this guy that I went to high school with. So very small world, but now our worlds are colliding in the best ways possible. We're both moms and it's been really great to have her. I know. I'm so grateful you're now in the mom club and like the best club. It's the best club and like so hard and so so rewarding and so much love, but you really don't know what it means to be in the mom club until you're in the mom club. Like it's 
a league of its own. Yes. And every body's experience is different. Every baby is different. And you just realize that like, you know, you can be as, you can read all the books, all the blogs and everything, but until you meet your baby, none of that matters. All of it matters. It's just, it's, yeah, one of those things. It's that exclusive club that you, once you're there, you realize like, you know nothing and yet you also know everything. Like your instincts <laughs> kick in. You totally. are just trying to like figure it out and your baby's trying to figure it out too. Um, so that kind of dynamic, it's, it's a really interesting place to be. And for you, Rachel, one of the things that I love so much about being friends with you is the fact that we can both, you know, nobody's like, you've never tried to wrap it up in a pretty bow for me. Like it's very realistic about where it is, even though our motherhood journeys are very different or like how you, you know, do things versus how I do things. Everybody's different, but I've, but there's this also like your ability to do all the natural things and love all those things. And also just be like, I need wine and I'm hiding in my bathroom. <laughs> totally. Like, it's so beautiful. I love my son, but also, like, I'm going to go get a haircut and a facial. You guys figure it out. Yeah. And, like, I love that to. about you. And you're just you the perfect to. combination of it. So before I say anything, I just need to put that out there. That <laughs> Well, thank you for acknowledging that because it's taken most. me a while. Like, Basin's now 10 months tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me a while to just, like, leave and yeah. not need to have total control over what's going on and yeah granted it's like an hour for a facial or yeah. a haircut or like a yoga class but yeah. it's so important and I'm needing to find ways to do more because often it in the beginning it was like okay I'm gonna leave I'm gonna go to the grocery store uh, yeah. no that's no. like no. that needs to be on top of whatever else yeah you know? like and like before you know it's like you those are like now it's like the grocery store run is like, yes, to keep the household alive, right? No, I need more than that. Like, I need to go some do something that's not related to you, not related to the baby, not related to keeping the house functioning whatsoever. I know. I was talking to this mom and she was like, the other weekend, I just took a book and went to a park and drank a coffee for like three hours while my husband had the baby. And I was like, what? You did that? <laughs> That sounds amazing. That's amazing. Oh my God. Noted. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like you said that once you're kind of here in this space of being a mom, you just can relate to people purely because you're a mom, even if you have nothing else in common. Yep. Which is really nice that you have, like you just see a mom at the park or something. You're like, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, you, yes. you guys like do that eye acknowledgement thing, sort of like you used to do when you were like, in a bar or in a club or something. But now it's like, I see that. I know that you're sleep deprived. You're doing great. You got this. And it's just like this acknowledgement that happens. And you never, once you become a mom, you can never go back. Yeah. You know, it's like a, you crossed this threshold in your life. Um, your life is different. You know, it, it will be different going forward. And I think that it's the beauty of motherhood, but also so challenging and I think you need to be able to say sometimes that this is hard or that this isn't what I expected or like 
and not be afraid that that somehow makes you a monster. Because I think the pressure on women is that if we don't say it's all beautiful and roses and like everything, that we're somehow bad mothers. And I come to realize that that is actually what makes us better mothers. The ability to just like say it and move on, go scream in the garage, come back, hold your kid. Like if that's what you need to do. Yeah. That actually makes you a better mother. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm realizing how much pressure I've put on myself or how much like I expect to get done or mm-hmm. still keep up with kind of like the work output that I had before and it's like yeah. that is not realistic, not realistic at all. No. Yeah, well, and it's also just such a weird time. Like, literally right now, this evening, we're not only in the midst of a global pandemic, but we're watching the last of mm-hmm. the votes being tallied for the 2020 election, like, with nail-biting, yeah. bated breath. And um, I don't know about you, but just thinking, like, this is not the world that I was, like, growing up thinking, oh, I'm going to mm-hmm. have a baby now. <laughs> You know, yeah. like it's so I mean, different. I apologized to Nari yesterday. I was like, I'm so sorry. This world is horrible. I couldn't give you a better, like, world. Um, and it just, right. it's, it's nuts to think that, like, I'm, like, we kind of, you know, there are people getting pregnant right now, right, mm-hmm. under the stress, or women that are in their 38, 39 weeks pregnant, ready to del- deliver at any moment, and they are sitting there with anxiety from their bodies and then mm-hmm. dealing with the stuff that's on TV. Like I can't even imagine if I had to be giving a birth to a baby right now. Totally. Like I would have gone into labor yesterday, just purely out of stress. Yeah. So yeah, it's um it's interesting because it's like what does the future hold like there's you never know like never at any know. time in history you've never known what the future held. But like at this point it feels like I really have no idea and like even the next like few years and what that will look like for our family and for Mason and like just just being able to send him to daycare like we decided to hold off on that because of the pandemic and it's like when is he going to get to be around other kids in that way or like other adults who don't have their face covered so it's it's just so interesting to have so much uncertainty in the world and like what that means to be a mom and need to be stable when I don't feel stable for myself. Right. You know? And we're supposed to, you know, the way our parents talked about, you know, what happened in, you know, 1985 or something, we're supposed to somehow tell our kids about what happened in 2020. I don't even know what happened in 2020. (laughs) I am utterly confused. The only thing I know for sure is I was pregnant and I gave birth to a human. But other than that, it's a complete, like I literally wrote in her baby book, like they were like, you know, what music was popular and like what was happening? I was like, question mark, you have no clue. I'll tell you about this later, but like be prepared. 2020 is going to be a long chapter in what happened before you were born. Totally. Right. Like no I mean, baby book. They'll be there. learning about it in school. Like Yeah. It's gonna be like a huge chapter of like all the things that went wrong in 2020. I know. And it's like, God. It's but not- I mean, can you imagine a better silver lining than having a baby to yeah. focus on during this year? Like Derek and I are constantly just saying how grateful we are that we have him because yeah. 
you know, especially thinking about like a single person who's just been home alone during this time, like having their family and our health and then this healthy baby to just like focus and dote on. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't like, if I didn't have Nari, I would be sitting in front of the TV, stressed out, probably like crying or something. And here there's something that needs me more. And like, it's just, it's a nice distraction to know that, okay, what I'm voting for or what I'm fighting for, all the things that I am so hell bent on getting done, it's for a purpose. There's a purpose as a mm-hmm. mother. There's this new ground. You feel grounded in your decisions. And it's like, you know, one of my biggest things has always been, for example, like, you know, my, I'm very pro choice and I've always been, but people may say, like, oh, once you had a baby, you know, that probably changed, right? And it's like, no, it didn't. It actually solidified in me why that choice is so important. Because this pregnancy I went into with so much intention, Mm -hmm. I was so prepared, I was ready to be a mom. The difference of that experience versus when I was young and not ready. Those two experiences have bookended the reasons why I'm so, so aggressively pro-choice. And it's made it so that now if anyone were to come up to me and ask me why, I can say with a straight face that like as a mother of a daughter who I wanted so, so badly, that's the core of choice. Mm. And so that's one of the major things that's really kind of happened to me since having my daughter is the fact that it's made me realize and really made me laser focus my intention on things. It's not so more just like, oh, I'm from California and I feel X, Y, Z. It's like, I can tell you for that, like, she's being born into privilege. What am I going to do with that? How am I going to make her a better person? And because she has so much more access than I did, Mm. um, like I'm going to do my best so that she goes out into the world equipped with the tools to actually be like a positive influence in society. And so as a mom, it's like that's my biggest thing. Mm. It feels really good to have that, to like – know that I want to do that. Yeah. And I mean, so amazing for that little girl to have such a strong mama. Ready. Going to the protests. (laughs) Well, not only just like, yeah, creating that path for her, but also just being that strong support for Mm -hmm. whatever life unfolds for her. Yeah. Oh, so sweet. (laughs) Just like picture their lives down the road. It's, It's like, I can and I can't at the same time. Yeah. Like my baby's not going to become a, an adult. That's too weird. I know. I know. When they're born, you're like, I even remember like she was 17 and a half inches long and I was like, oh, she's going to be little forever. Like not realizing that they grow. And then <laughs> she's now 21 inches and I'm just like, none of her newborn clothes fit anymore. And it's just like. And it's just sad. been like over a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she like, you know, opens her eyes and like looks at things and doesn't just like glaze over. Like she actually interacts with the world around her. And it's just like a lot of pressure too to be like, oh my God, I can't just like put her on the ground. She's not a lump anymore. The things I say to her, the way I talk to her, 
she doesn't understand them, but she hears them. So I need to like think about what I say around her. And I have to like practice what I preach, all the things that I said I wasn't going to say. Like I have to stand by them. It's totally. a lot of pressure. And it just gets to be more pressure as they're yeah, as becoming they're, more and more conscious in their little body. Totally. And they like make decisions, you know, it's like you used to think I could just st- stuff a pacifier in your mouth, but there's a point now where if she doesn't want it, she closes her mouth, mm-hmm. which means she's making a choice, which is like the craziest thing to me. Right. No. Can you, can you speak to what her name means? Yeah. So Nari is um, short for her full name, which is Naria. And Naria in Thai means um, woman or like the essence of a woman. And mm-hmm. it was a name that, you know, when we were thinking about names, I had a bunch of names. I've been writing names down in my journals and on my phone for like years before the idea of having a kid even, you know, was a thing. And I actually came up with this name because there was a new Thai restaurant that was opening in San Francisco called Mm. Naria. And when I found out the meaning of it, the head chef and owner is a woman, a Thai woman who, you know, is kind of a trailblazer in the Thai culinary world. She is just trying to elevate Thai food in a way that's really high end, but also approachable and, so then I was like, oh, this name, it means woman. Like the feminist in me was like, oh my God, I need to name my kid this if I have a girl. And of course, I always thought I was going to be a boy mom. So I was like, the name was just on my list, but I was like, you know, maybe next time. And then as soon as I found out it was a girl, it was like no other name fit or made sense. It was like every other name would just be like, oh, a name that I saw on a TV show or like mm-hmm. a name that you know, was in like a book or something. And then it would be like compared to Nari. I just don't know another Nari. And so even though we went back and forth with it, eventually Nick and I were like, it's got to be Nari because why choose another name that has no personal like connection to us other than like, oh, it sounded cool. Yeah. I love that. Nari it was. That's so sweet. I love that story. (laughs) So you're now five weeks postpartum. How is the postpartum experience going? Um, you know, it, I learned a lot about my tendency to think that I have it all figured out or that I'm an incredibly independent person. I always have been. So like, you know, I, I walk the streets at night. Like, I don't have fear. Like, I would have been abducted. I'm surprised I haven't been abducted because I just trust everybody. I'm, like, one of those people that, like, has always done things on my own. And so I went through, you know, this really hard labor, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But after after delivering her, I was, like, up on my feet. I was moving around. I felt great. And without under, and people were telling me like, you will feel like a truck hit you. It's gonna happen. And I was like, no, I'm fine. It's great. And of course, like 48 hours after I was like, oh my God, I cannot walk (laughs) to the bathroom. And the bathroom is like four feet from me. I, I can't. So 
it was definitely like a learning moment for me of like, okay, this is something your body has never done. You've never, despite the fact that you, you're healing properly and all these things, it's not just your body too. It's like mentally, it's psychologically, you know, I was fine. I was happy. And then as soon as my milk came in, I found myself crying in the nursery for two hours straight for no reason. And I thought I was losing my mind. And then the next day my milk came in and I was like, oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. And every, you know, and it's like, I was driving all over the place and people were like, oh my God, you just had a baby two weeks ago. Like you're doing great. And sure enough, again, it came in another wave where I was driving with her and she was just screaming and was inconsolable. And turns out it's because I had spicy curry, but I didn't know that. I just thought that I was a complete failure as a mom and it just comes in waves. And so this postpartum thing has really been just a lesson in giving myself space and time and grace, which I just don't think we do enough of in general, but nothing like having a baby where it's almost like your body, it, your body's, it's designed to like as amazing and as strong as it is. It's like, it's the only time you will have to genuinely slow down and you need to be able to ask for help, which I'm not great at. And Luckily, you know, Nick's family, Nick's friends, our friends have just been so gracious and so, you know, they're filling all the gaps and doing things. I haven't had to ask for anything, but it's made me so much more empathetic to the fact that asking for help is really hard. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where it's a really huge shift total shift mind body and like spirit yeah definitely yeah it's um it's really hard to ask for help and it's it's interesting too that like people really want to give it Mm -hmm. and often just don't know how or they're you know they're good and they like they've done it before and they're like oh yeah i'll bring the casserole or or i'll do this or whatever but then there's a point where that help like stops coming because Mm -hmm. they're kind of like, okay, you're over it. Yeah. (laughs) And then you're like, and now I really need help. Yep. And, and getting up kind of the, the courage or whatever it is to just speak up for what you need. Yeah. That was really hard for me too. Yeah. And women too, I think inherently we, we don't, I mean, women or men, it's like asking for help is showing vulnerability. It's mm-hmm. also about, you know, kind of like you don't want to seem like you are weak or you can't do it. And also it's just like the simple of like, if someone's like, oh, I want to send you, I want to send food to you. It's really hard to just, you're like, is it too much? Like dollar, you know, like all those little things that go through your mind on just mm-hmm. a logistical just the logistics of it, of like, you feel guilty. And I've, I mean, I just experienced that the other day when someone was like, oh, I'm sending you food. Like, just tell me what you want. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, do I order like a hundred dollars worth of soul food? Like, (laughs) and it's just so difficult to ask for help. And 
I remember reading a book about um, like the fourth trimester and mm-hmm. one of the exercises was like, you know, while you're pregnant, you need to practice taking a break. So like set a timer 15 minutes where you sit there and you don't do anything or practice asking for help. Practice when you're pregnant, asking for a friend to like, hey, can you come by and take the dog out for a walk? Even if you can do it, you know, because, and, and nobody tells you those things. Like, and, and that is what I think adds to the pressure for women of having to do it all. Mm-hmm. Because no one tells us that we can ask for help and that asking for help doesn't make us a bad mom. Yeah. So that's for sure one of the things that I like really what, what I would tell myself if I could go back in time or what I would tell my best friend who is having a baby, mm-hmm. like practice, you have to practice letting others take care of you. I mean, I think that's just like important during this time because mm-hmm. the, the fourth trimester is so sacred and the mother yep. should just be taken care of. But I also think that's just like in life, like yep. women, especially or women. Yeah. Men are pretty good at it. Most mm-hmm. times, but like being able to ask for what we need is, is hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, five weeks in and you already have so much wisdom mm-hmm. and perspective, which just shows how much you're thriving during this like phase of motherhood already. It's really cool to see. Thanks. So yeah. What was your initiation? Like what was your like labor and delivery and any, any aspects of your birth story you want to share? Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, I am, I consider myself very lucky, super grateful for the fact that I had what I would call like textbook perfect pregnancy. Um, you know, I lost my job um, in May. And despite that and the kind of anxiety and uneasiness that came with that, um, I was like glowing and on cloud nine the entire nine months. Like I, if I could have kept month seven, like for the rest of my life, <laughs> ideal. Like my clothes fit great. My skin was great. My hair was great. Like my legs hadn't swelled yet. Like I was cute. And then eight and nine was like, okay, get this baby out of me. Yeah. It gets a little, you, a little squished. But it's a little much. And it was like the summer and everything. So I, you know, I delivered, my due date was kind of a toss up between September 29th and September 24th just because she was measuring big, but Kaiser doesn't really adjust the date. Mm-hmm. But they didn't tell me that until the end. So I always thought I was like going to deliver around the 20, um, like 24th or something. And they kept saying like, oh, technically you're the 29th. And so basically, you know, I was, I made it to 39 weeks. I was there. Um, they were a little worried about my blood pressure and they were basically talking about inducing which I really didn't want to induce until I hit 40 weeks. I really wanted to give my body the chance to do its own thing. I've always been against unnecessary medical intervention. And especially knowing that, you know, my baby has showed no signs of distress. I had shown no signs of distress except for like slightly elevated blood pressure. I was really not fond of the idea of induction. Um, But then you know, 
the forces that be, she kind of was ready to come out too. And so the week that I was going to be induced, um, I had one final doctor's appointment, went in, you know, they hooked me up to the little non-stress test machine. And she's like, your doctor's not here, but I have an on-call doctor. Do you want to have your membrane swept? And this was actually the morning after I lost my mucus plug, which I didn't even know. I remember like asking Nick, like, is this my mucus plug? He gagged and ran away. So you're like, yep. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is my mucus plug. (laughs) And so (laughs) the next morning I get these little tightening feeling and I'm like, I guess that's a contraction. You're like Googling what is a contraction. (laughs) And there's like, people are like, you know, describing a myriad of things. Um, and you are also trained when you watch the movies that you're supposed to like be doing something, you know, non-baby related and then your water breaks and, you know, you're at Starbucks or something. So you're waiting for this water to break. And you're like, well, it hasn't happened yet. So maybe it's not happening. And sure enough, I've learned that that's totally wrong. <laughs> and like only like 5% of women have their water break in this cataclysmic way mm-hmm. usually the doctor pops it with a little thing and you're already like naked in bed like about to have this child and they pop this water bag so I get my membrane swept and the contractions go from like bearable to just holy shit this is not okay and I remember grabbing the car of the door while we were picking up fried chicken sandwiches because I was like, that's what I want if I'm having contractions. Because I thought, like, I'm going to have hours. You know, what's the big deal? But then the contractions started coming really, really close. And then my mind goes to, oh, my God, I'm eating a fried chicken sandwich. What if I (laughs) deliver and, like, I could poop and I had a fried chicken sandwich. And it's all these things. Your brain just goes to these places where you're just like, oh, my God, that was a bad decision. I should have just eaten an apple. Like, why did I eat a fried chicken sandwich? Because you deserve the fried chicken sandwich before you pass labor. So good. And of course, it's like in between bites, you're like, I'm standing up, I'm grabbing, you know, the dining room chairs for support. I'm hanging off of Nick. um, And I finish that sandwich and I'm just like, you know, and then you, you time your contractions and it's like you're both looking at the app being like, was that six minutes? Was that five? It's just so much like uncertainty mm-hmm. and you have no idea what you're doing. And you're like, do we go? Do we not go? Um, we were set to deliver at Kaiser in San Francisco. So there's that to factor in too. It's a 45 minute drive to the city. And I'm like, I don't know if I can make it if contractions are every five minutes and I'm thinking nine times five, so that's like 10 contractions that I have to make it through. Like, it's like being on the treadmill and being like, how many songs do I have to run? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of like 15 minutes, that's three, five minute songs. I guess I could do that. But the contractions were just, it was the longest car ride of my life. Oh, I bet. You didn't Um, hit any traffic, did you? No traffic. Again, (laughs) silver lining because of COVID, there was no cars on the road. Mm -hmm. But like in normal times, I'd be stuck in traffic and have my baby on the Golden Gate Bridge or something, (gasps) which would be dramatic and a great story, but not ideal. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, and so I, you know, I, I wrote up a detailed birth plan that of course Nick and the doctor laughed at cause they're like, baby's going to do what baby's going to do. Good luck. Nice stationary paper <laughs> looks great, but we'll see if it goes that way. So I have my whole little birth plan written up in my organized binder. We throw everything in the car, go to the hospital and the nurse is like, well, your contractions are like seven minutes apart. You guys can go home if you want. And I was like, no, we are not going home. We live in Marin. We are staying. <laughs> so then, you know, it's like eight o'clock. We get admitted. And this whole time I'm kind of like emotionally like ready, but it doesn't hit me until I walk into the like labor and delivery room and I saw the little panda warmer where they put the baby. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh my God, we're not leaving this room until our baby is on that panda warmer. Mm -hmm. And I remember standing there kind of crying Mm -hmm. as I like put on my gown and, you know, took off all my jewelry and everything. And it just, it all of a sudden felt very real to be in that room. Mm -hmm. Um, And the contractions are, you know, coming. And I really, really wanted to not have an epidural. I was really kind of hell-bent on it for some reason. Um, And partly because, you know, your your birth story, like I was so jealous of your birth story. I really wanted what you had with Derek and with Mason. And it was, I just remember telling myself, telling people I know, like, can you imagine how beautiful that is to be surrounded by all these people and to have him come into such a calm and inviting world? And so for me, since I knew that I wouldn't be able to kind of replicate the birth at home that I wanted just because Nick is highly skeptical of it. <laughs> um, if I had my way, I would have done it at home and you know, gone as natural as I possibly could. But I was like, fine, we'll go to the hospital. I don't, you know, I don't want unnecessary intervention. Um, and I really want to hold out as long as I can and possibly try to do this naturally. Um, but what I realized, what I learned about myself in that moment was that I'm much more flexible than I told myself I was. And that the conviction that came with that flexibility. I saw how supportive Nick was. And it made me realize that part of being a feminist or part of being a partnership and having a great partnership is knowing, again, like when to step in and when to ask for help. And Mm -hmm. I saw my husband stepping up for me in such a huge way when he has no idea. He can't have any idea how much pain I'm in. And it was unfair for me to not get the epidural. That's what it came down to at the decision when I decided to get it. It didn't come from this place of giving up. I actually didn't feel like I had failed at all. It was like a transformation for me. It became this decision of like, you know, if I'm in this much pain and you're doing everything you can to help me through it, 
and I'm choosing to be in more pain so that I can consider myself a hero, that's on me. And that does nothing for us as parents, does nothing for us as partners. And I just saw him in that moment and realized like, he showed up for me, I need to show up for him. And it's not fair for me to suffer through this pain, for him to suffer through it and not, and especially for him not being able to remedy that pain in any way. Like, I realized like, okay, if I get this epidural and my poor husband doesn't have to wake up every, you know, I was having contractions every four minutes, but he had to wake up every three minutes and like 30 seconds to anticipate the pain that I was going to be in because mm-hmm. he's looking at the monitor, mm-hmm. he's seeing these contractions come in and I am so delusional. I don't even know what's going on, but he is trying to keep it together for all of us. And when, when I realized that the decision to have an epidural was the easiest and best decision I ever made. And how many hours in, at what point? Was so that? at that point from like, the first contractions that I felt, you know, earlier in the morning, Mm -hmm. I was about 20 hours in. Mm -hmm. Um, And after I got the epidural, both of us could go to sleep. I mean, I woke up laughing, like I Mm -hmm. woke up just excited. And that's when it became really real for Nick too, because the doctor comes in and they're like, you know, seven centimeters, you're at seven, you went from two to seven. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was like, I saw him get emotional and tear up because he was like, once we hit 10, that's when we meet our baby. And to hear him say that, like Mm -hmm. I choke up even now. Um, and, and to see the energy that he was able to get from getting sleep. And he was like, game on. As soon as we hit 10, he was like, you know, with the nurses, pulling my legs back, counting every contraction, looking at the monitor and being like, okay, contractions coming. I need you to like muster everything you get, everything you have, and let's do this. Mm-hmm. And that would not have been possible had I not given him the break he needed to like get all of his ducks in a row. And Nick's always been that person that once he gets his ducks in a row, he's like the most organized, the most enthusiastic, super ready to do everything. And seeing that, there's no way I could have delivered this baby without him. Because it was 12 hours before we would even meet her. Mm. You know, and it was 12 hours of me switching from side to side, me holding my legs back, me pushing on a bar. We were trying all these things because she just wasn't progressing. Mm -hmm. But she was also doing really well. Like her heart rate was great. Mine was great. Um, And I think that's why they kind of let me push for as long as I did because I basically pushed for about seven hours. And usually they only give you like four to five. Um, But they gave us a 45-minute break when she was face up and they were trying to turn her. So there was that little hiccup as well of like, you know, she's 
and they start having those tough conversations with you. Like, okay, if, if she doesn't move, you know, we might have to have a C-section. And I was for sure never wanted to have a C-section. I was like, I really, really want to have a vaginal birth. I didn't even really tell the doctors or nurses, but I think I'm, I'm happy that they kind of, I was always afraid like, oh, is Kaiser going to try to force something down my throat, you know, because they're like this big corporate hospital, mm-hmm. but they were actually very um, supportive of as natural as possible. Okay. And they presented me with a C-section and in that moment when they were like, okay, it's forceps or a C-section, my mind without hesitation was like, just cut me up get her out of me. I don't want her to be in any more distress. I just want her to be here and I want her to be okay. And Nick even looked at me like, are you sure? And I was like, I just want her healthy. Mm -hmm. And forceps to me at that point seemed more traumatic because I'm thinking, you know, if I had something squeezing my head, like that's got to suck. So I just didn't, and I was like, oh, I don't want her dented head. And like, I just was thinking of really like cosmetic things at that point. But it surprised me at how fast that if something was going wrong, you know, like if her heart rate started dipping or something, my ability to put her above my own needs, like, C-sections are no joke. They literally cut your body yeah. and take all your organs out like you're a mummy, like put them in little side bowls and stuff and like put it all back in. But I was 100% prepared to go there if it meant that she would be safe. But my team of doctors were really amazing. They said, you know, she's the perfect size. Like give us four push, give us four good pushes we can get her out with forceps. And of course, if we can't, we will get her out. Um, And so at the last minute, I decided, okay, we'll try the forceps. And it was one of those things where every push up until that point was, you know, three solid pushes, 10 seconds each. And then they were like, okay, we need one more. And it Mm -hmm. was on that fourth push, the one where you just don't think you can do it anymore. I was looking at Nick. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm having sleep. And sure enough, on the fourth one, they pull her up, they put her on my chest and she's wide awake. Mm. And she's looking at me like, I know you, like, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, and you don't, and it's like in that moment, that rush, all the pain goes away. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there, they're stitching me up. My placenta came out at some point. I don't I have no idea. Um, and it was the biggest like rush and relief. And I didn't even I I remember just being so like something in the room shifted as soon as she came in. You know, and they took her away and she was didn't cry or anything. And Nick was like, is she okay? But she was looking at the doctors and everybody was like, she's super alert. She was looking around and everything. And and then they just like wrap her up and give you your baby. And it's like, I cannot believe you are giving me a baby. 
<laughs> like, I know this is my baby, but like, and then of course you, you know, and then everything just kind of gets cleaned up and whisked away and you, you know, they're getting ready to move you to like the recovery room and you're looking at each other like, holy shit, what just happened? Yeah. And it's the wildest thing. And then they, ha- it's like, they wheel you off to recovery and all of a sudden you are parents. Like you have to respond to this thing that has no idea. The whole world is just like so intense for them. And they look at you for like guidance and like support now. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge responsibility that you feel like right away. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When they, when they all left after Mason was born, it was like, you're leaving us here alone. Yeah. Like you want us to go to sleep? We're supposed to sleep? Yeah. What do we do with the baby? To sleep. Exactly. And the nurse comes in and like swaddles it and she's like, okay, good night. And I was like, what? Where? Where are you going? Totally. Well, let me just say that you are amazing. That is such a beautiful and intense birth story and that you were obviously in the exact right place, right? For that, for that to just happen so beautifully and so seamlessly. Yeah. She, she needed that little bit of like, oh, I don't want to leave mama. Okay. Here I am. Yeah. (laughs) And it's so her too. Like, (laughs) It's so her personality to just be like, you know, take her sweet time, just kind of mosey on down this little short path. I'm like, how did you take 32 hours to go like this far? That is not very efficient. So it was an interesting, you know, and I'm sure you felt this with Mason too. It's like, you know them, like you meet them and there is this instant recognition of like, we did it together and you feel this bond with your partner, but you also feel this immense bond with your kid. Like we did it. I always say like, we were the team that got you here. It's this internal communication of like between mom and, and kid, right? That's like, okay, we, we have to do X, Y, and Z to get you here. And that's what I'm actually really grateful to about the time I feel like the 32 hours that I had, it gave me the chance to actually breathe. Mm. I've been going at like a rapid pace pretty much my whole life. And this 32 hours was like exactly what I needed to slow down, to enjoy getting ready to meet her. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually really grateful. It's it was the perfect end to my perfect pregnancy, even though it was really hard and it was really long and everybody's like, oh my God, you're so badass. You went through 32 hours of labor, but it's like, it's the initiation process for me of like the best way for me to become a mom, to get to know her and everything was like going through that journey and having the time to think about it. And knowing you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a transformation. Like you said, it's beautiful and powerful and hard and Mm -hmm. like just all the emotions wrapped up in one. And then yeah, yeah, your baby is just put in your arms and like 
I don't even know. There was like that first moment. I think I like completely disassociated just yeah. because I was like not yet in my body. Mm-hmm. There's actually a picture of me and I'm just like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. then just like when I looked down and we didn't know the sex we were having. So mm-hmm. when I looked down and realized it was a boy, it was just like everything like tingled. It was just mm-hmm. like, I'm a mom. I have a son. Like I did it. We're here together. Yep. We're still, like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much. It all like comes rushing in and yeah. you, all the dreams and aspirations and everything you had building up until the moment you meet them, right? Mm-hmm. It's like manifesting into something real. It's like, let me put all of that into you. And it just, it energizes you in this crazy way of like all the things that, all the intentions and wishes you had for them. Totally. You're just like about ready to hit the ground running and like give them all those things. And becoming a parent when you are ready, not that you'll ever be ready, but when you are, you know, when you're ready enough to become a parent, I think is what it is. It's it's a really amazing feeling. And you have them and you just, even though you know, you have no idea what you're doing, right? You also do. Yeah. Like you said in the beginning, like it's an intuition that is kind of awakened through this process. Like I feel like women already have really good and strong intuition, but motherhood, like mother's intuition is just next level. Next level. And it's like you hear those stories of like, you know, superhuman moms, right? Who Mm -hmm. like in the corner of their eye, see a glass about to fall or something. It's like totally. the spidey sense. It's like the spidey, spidey sense. Oh my the God. Other, like I was holding Nari and uh, Nick's new, Nick's parents' new puppy, mm-hmm. like knocked over a wine glass. It fell on the ground and she was going to step on the shards of glass. And I remember holding Nari and screaming like I've never screamed before, like glass, because I didn't want the dog to step in the glass. But it was almost this, like, it just, I heard myself in a different way. Yeah. That I had never heard myself before. Interesting. Of, like, this ability to see something and automatically, like, hold my baby tighter and also, like, try to keep the dog from killing itself. Totally. Your ability to respond. Yeah. I am the klutziest person. And mm-hmm. I have caught Mason like one time I even caught him with my foot and Derek was yeah. like, what the, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's it my just mom happens. Skills. Yeah. Just your happens. mom skills just come out in a way that like, you know, and it's something that I think we have to remind ourselves as moms too, that like the world gives dads a lot of credit, right? It gives dads a lot of credit for kind of just doing like the bare minimum and women and mothers, we just need to like, toot our own horns and realize that like we there's so much more we do this like behind the scenes stuff that just is so much bigger than just like a good swaddle it's like yes a good swaddle is important but like I kept this thing alive for nine months and I also am going to be sustaining it for the next like 18 years of its life Mm -hmm. things that only I can provide yeah you know Yeah, it's a lot. It just the the little things that go un, mm-hmm. unacknowledged when they can be acknowledged by 
others, it feels so good. Totally. And I think it's really usually moms, other moms who are like, yeah, you're doing great. I yeah. see you. It's that silent acknowledgement, right? Like we were yeah. talking about at the park. It's, yeah. you don't have to say anything. You just kind of walk by each other. And it's just like this, this internal thing that we both as mothers, like as soon as you become one, you have this exclusive membership to this club that mm-hmm. is just kind of like invite only. And it's like the exclusive. It totally to is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you open to a few rapid fire questions? And sure. yeah. Okay. How do you, now that you're a mother, how do you define motherhood? Motherhood is, how do I define motherhood? That's a really hard question. Motherhood to me is the just, I guess it's putting something putting something, someone, I guess, over your own needs. It's Mm. this instantaneous thing of like every decision that I make now is with her in mind. Mm -hmm. And I weigh things. I weigh the pros and the cons of my choices so much more um, because now I have to be, I'm held accountable to someone, you know, Mm. like um, in a way that I've never been held accountable before. Yeah. So true. What is one thing that you have done for yourself, let's say this week, mm-hmm. to take care of you, like self-care? Self-care. Um, I went and got like a manicure and pedicure at my favorite spot in San Rafael. Amazing. Um, and the women that work there, you know, I jokingly call them like my aunties. Like, mm-hmm. They're these amazing Vietnamese women. They're the best. And they have known me for a long time. They saw me throughout my pregnancy. And just going there and just relaxing. And afterwards, after my nails were done, I was talking to them and helping them set up their, like, you know, B of A accounts and stuff. (laughs) And they were like, don't you have to go home to a screaming baby? I was like, no, no, no. This is fine. Let me help you set up your automatic banking. I was like so happy to help them. I'll I'll be on hold with the B of A guy for hours. It's totally fine. I don't need to go. That's awesome. I'm hiding from my baby. I'm glad you did that. And your nails look great. It was was so fun. Um, And it was just nice to kind of like, I missed her, but it was like the idea of getting in the car without her in the back and just going to do something. For me, because I had gotten a haircut a few weeks before and it was super stressful actually. It was during her like fussy crying curry mm. phase. <laughs> and so I was like a stress basket. I had the appointment made. I couldn't cancel it. I hadn't had my hair done in months like everyone else. And but the whole time I was getting it cut, I was a stress basket. Yeah. Whereas getting my nails this time, it was like I was like, okay, my appointment's at 10. Bye. Yeah. I just left and it was great. Yeah. And it it, I think there will always be points where it's hard, but it yeah. does get easier to leave yeah. <laughs> for totally. sure. Totally. Okay. What is one thing that you hope the next generation will experience in their lifetime? So our, our babies. That what I really hope that they will experience is the notion that you can do it all, but but not from a physical standpoint, like 
not that necessarily you can be anything you want to be, which of course I hope for them. But I, I think that what that actually means for my hopes for them is that Mason, for example, that he won't be afraid to be strong and soft at the same time. Mm-hmm. That emotionally, being emotionally intelligent, that that's what we'll foster mm-hmm. for our kids. That when I say that Nari can do anything, I want her to be strong, but I want her to be sensitive. And that in her moments of being strong, that that's okay. That there's no, there's no like the, the gender roles or like mm-hmm. the strict, um, you know, kind of rules that were put on our parents and that were bestowed on us. Mm-hmm. That there's more flexibility there. Yeah. And that they can be whatever they want to be in all senses of the word. Yeah, I hope that too. I really just want them to, you know, and that's what I think when I was thinking that I was originally going to have a son, that I always wanted a girl um, until I met Nick. And for the first time, I was okay with having a son because I knew that I married a good man Mm -hmm. and that he was going to be a model for my son. And at that Mm -hmm. point, I was like, I'm totally excited, ready to have a boy. And that only happened because of who I married. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like, you know, and for the first time, I was like, oh, if I have a son, how do I make him in, how do I make him the best man um, who is like his father? And that that's a lot of pressure with everything going on in the world, right? Of like, mm-hmm. how do we make our children well-rounded and strong in the right ways, sensitive in the right ways? Yeah. yeah. Well, now you have a little girl who gets to grow up to be just like her daddy. <laughs> yeah. And mommy. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much. You're I welcome. so love chatting with you. It was so great. And, you know, it's, it's like, I remember when we first met, like thinking that it would be so fun to have babies with her. Right. And like, and now that it's a reality and that like the phase of our life where we're in now, the thought of our kids growing up together is such a special thing. I know. And it's just, it's, it's really so ironic that we met in the psychology of pregnancy. Exactly. Class. Yeah. 